athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. How much money you got? A lot. How many problems you got? You're locked into the Dopey Show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a real big show for you today. It's Masters Week. And wouldn't you know it, we're joined by the first black player to play in the Masters, a legend, Lee Elder. Lee Elder going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And I got to tell you a story about my next guest. It was May the 5th. Of 2009 that I first sent out an interview request for this guest and the publicist emailed me back and said, hey, I had a chance to listen to your show. It's good. I'll speak with this person to see if we can get them on. Well, time passed and follow up emails and different projects and probably 20 emails up until this point now, whereas finally superstar actress Taraji P. Henson Taraji P. Henson going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row and I tell you what almost nine years of requests to get Taraji P. Henson on this program of course Taraji P. Henson is an alum of Howard University was uh, in the same class as Anthony Anderson and so many others so going to talk with her about that and also uh, about the movie Best of Enemies, which is in theaters now, had a chance to see that a couple of weeks ago to see the premiere that came here to Raleigh. Taraji P. Henson also going to join us today here on the program. So much to get to on the program here in the state of North Carolina. When you're talking about pro sports at its highest level, meaning NHL, National Football League, uh, in the NBA more specifically, there's no Major League Baseball here in the Carolinas. It's been sort of a tough go for the Hornets slash Bobcats, the Panthers, and the Hurricanes. Finally, the Hurricanes made the playoffs. We talked about this last week, and of course, they they, uh, started the uh, series against the Capitals, and Game 2 is going to be in D.C. on Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more about Game 1 if time allows. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to going to Game 3 on Monday at the PNC right here in Raleigh. But I want to talk a little bit more about pro sports at its highest level here in the Carolinas. If you have to go somewhere for some reason, you're not going to have a chance to listen to this. Log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. I I talked about this on uh, in depth, as a matter of fact, and want to share some of that with you today. And I'm going to do that today here on the program. Magic Johnson resigning resigning from the Los Angeles Lakers. I couldn't believe it when I heard it in my initial thought. I mean, I got to be honest, and I'm a Magic fan. Like, I've been a Magic fan forever when the whole debate 
about who was better at the time, Magic or Mike, which MJ, this MJ, that MJ. I was all about Magic Johnson. And so I've I've really followed Magic throughout the course of his career. And, and, and by the way, I mean, what he's been able to do off the field has been absolutely tremendous when you talk about the Starbucks franchises, when you talk about the Magic movie theaters and, and what Magic Johnson brought. He brought mainstream to the black community when a lot of, you know, when you're talking about a lot of uh, a lot of these different um, companies didn't want to be in black communities. It was Magic Johnson that brought these companies and brought companies, a big time businessman in to the black community. Of course, he's also the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers and a Laker for life. So my initial thought with all the respect that I have for Magic Johnson was that he quit. All right, because the the season for the Lakers, even though it's basically been over for, I don't know, the last month or so, in essence, probably longer than that. In essence, the season has been over for the Lakers, but there's still a job to do. Like, I think most people thought that season one was going to be somewhat of a wash. I don't think most people thought that the Lakers wouldn't make the playoffs. I think at the end of the day, when LeBron James went down, I mean, that if if they could have sustained that, maybe gone at least about 500, then they would have been in the playoffs. But the Lakers basically went downhill from there. And it wasn't just LeBron. It was all of the injuries that the Lakers had. I mean, I think we have to have to look at that. I also think that we have to put a lot of the onus on LeBron James as well. But LeBron James is still with the Lakers. I think a lot of the reason that LeBron James came to the Lakers was because of Magic Johnson, because of what Magic has been able to accomplish both on the court and off the court. And for Magic just to leave and not want to deal with the mess that he helped to create, you know, I I think he quit on the Lakers. I got to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, when I heard, and again, that was my initial thought. So when I heard some of his comments and so forth, I mean, I, I, I get all of that, but at the end of the day, it was only year one. I realized magic is a winner. He wants to win. I get all of that, but I think you have to see it through at least another year. Maybe he, there was some other things on the horizon. You know, the, the fact that maybe the Lakers, not only did the Anthony Davis trade not only that was that a disaster but maybe in fact the Lakers may not be able to get anybody to come play with LeBron so I mean there's there's uh, some mitigating factors but at the end of the day I think you have to see this thing through and Magic just did not see it through so you know my initial thought was that he quit um I I I I probably have uh, uh, tapered down that particular stance after hearing him speak. Although at the end of the day, he did not finish what he started. And not only did he not finish what he started, a lot of times you're not going to be able to finish what you start, but he didn't even finish the first phase of what he started. The first part of what he started. And also the fact that he brought LeBron James to LA to me, isn't enough. That's not, he didn't do enough. He should have, rode this thing out at least through year two. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed. I got to be honest with you in that. Your participation here on From the Press Box to Press Row always warranted. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Also 
on Instagram, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Thank you to all of our outstanding affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row. For instance, WBCP 1580 in Urbana, Illinois. How about WHUR 96.3 HB2, HD2, that is, in our nation's capital that carries from the press box to press row. has been carrying from the press box to press row, as a matter of fact, since 2008. How about WPRL FM in Larman, Mississippi, that carries the program. So many great stations. Sports Talk 97.7 in Ruston, Louisiana, that carries the program. Um, wow, I mean, I could go on and on. KRUS 96.3 FM in Ruston, Louisiana, that carries the show. Also, thank you to those listening to us on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142, and to those listening to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. So the NBA playoff matchups are set and begin on Saturday. The Nets and the 76. I'm going to break these these matchups down i obviously like the 76ers in this one i mean i think joel Embiid, even with his injury uh doesn't really hurt the 76ers so much in the first round they have enough talent that they should be able to beat the nets i mean i think the nets quite frankly did a remarkable job when you've considered how bad the nets have been the last couple of years um to be able to make it to the playoffs um, as the number seven seed, but I like the 76ers in this one. I like the 76ers four games to one in this one. Um, the Magic and the Raptors. The Magic, quite frankly, a nice run. I mean, when you think about again, the Magic have been on a similar track to the Nets in terms of the last couple of years, but I mean, they've had a really good season. They've got some really good young players, but not enough to overcome what the Raptors have. It's not going to be a first round disappointment like we've seen with their, the, uh, not a first round, but it's just a disappointment in the playoffs like we've seen with the Raptors over the last couple of years. I like the Raptors in this one, uh, probably 4 0, I would say. Uh, the Warriors and the Clippers, that's a tough matchup for the Clippers. As good a job as Doc Rivers has done as head coach, uh, the Clippers are going down in the first round. And not only are they going down, they are going down flaming. Um, I got the the Warriors 4-0 in that one. Spurs and the Nuggets, interesting matchup. The Nuggets, the number two seed, the Spurs, not the Spurs that we've known, but a solid Spurs team that I think can give the Nuggets a little bit of trouble ultimately and I say a little bit of trouble because I think ultimately the Nuggets have had a really good season I think ultimately they are the better team and they're going to win that series four games to two the Celtics and the Pacers boy the Pacers had been playing well for some points in the season but um, not so much over the last two or three weeks and certainly not having a Victor Oladipo hurts, but I think they've made, they had at least made a decent adjustment by not having Oladipo, but uh, not, they haven't been great the last couple of weeks. The Celtics, on the other hand, haven't been great either, um, but the Celtics are battle tested in the playoffs. I like the Celtics four games to two. Trailblazers and the Thunder. That's a tough, tough matchup for the Trailblazers who've had a really, really good season. Um, I'm going to go Thunder in this one. I'm going to go. I think this series goes seven games and I like the Thunder in this series. Bucks and the Pistons. Again, the the Bucks, the number one seed overall. 
Best record in the NBA. Uh, Antetokounmpo is absolutely spectacular. The Pistons, again, have made a nice run this season, but not enough. I like the Bucks in this one, actually, four games to none. Rockets and the Jazz. That's our final matchup. I mean, this is going to be a tough first-round matchup for the Rockets. The Jazz are a very good team. Boy, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go Rockets in six in this one. James Harden, uh, Chris Paul, hopefully he can stay healthy because remember, this was a Rockets team that had the Warriors three games to two and Chris Paul goes down in game six where the Rockets could have possibly won that game and then ultimately lose the series to the Warriors last year. Um, I like the Rockets in this one. I like the Rockets four games to two. You're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. I'm your host, Donald Ware. Still to come, superstar actress Taraji P. Henson. But up next, we're going to be joined by the first black player to play in the Masters, Lee Elder, right here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And I have a a gentleman on the line who is a legend, as a matter of fact, in golf. Of course, it's Masters Week, and I'm so excited to talk with him. Uh, He is the one and only Lee Elder. He's a history maker, and he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mr. Elder, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dom. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about it. I am too, of course. You. We'll talk more about you being the recipient of the Bob Jones um, Award, uh, which is a pretty big deal as far as the USGA uh, is concerned. I want to get your thoughts. This is Masters Week. Who do you think? You know, who who is your favorite to win this year's Masters? Well, you know, you have so many good young players that are really uh, playing well right now at this stage. But I think that uh, probably if you're going to make anybody the favorite right now, I think it'd have to be uh, Rory McIlroy. He's playing, he's playing the best right now. He's leading all statistics, and uh, he's actually leading the FedEx Cup. He just jumped ahead of, uh, of the young man that was leading it before. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, that we can't we can't take the name Tiger Woods out of that mix because he played that golf course so well, and uh, you know he know it like the back of his hand. So. But right now, I think the favorite, uh, in, in in my view, is uh, is uh, Rory. Rory. Yeah. You know, you you made some history, as I mentioned, and we'll talk more about that. I want to get your thoughts on your days 
coming up uh, in the PGA, especially as a black man. Not a whole lot of brothers on the tour at that time. Um, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts. But actually, let me start here. I want to get your, your your thoughts on the your rookie year and that playoff that you had against Jack Nicholas. Uh, that must have been super exciting. Well, that 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 was probably one of the most exciting uh, events that I uh, that I that I'd undertaken in my career because he was the right at the time with the king. He was pretty much like uh, like a Tiger Woods. But most of all, he was, uh, you know, he was a man that was, uh, everyone, uh, tried to knock off the throne. Uh, as far as me, as I was concerned, I was, I was certainly nervous, you know, because, uh, to uh, go against the world best, uh, you know, at that short period of time, uh, that I had been on the tour was certainly uh, exciting for me. It was, a, it was something that, uh, that I'll never forget because it was a, a very long lasting, uh, uh, playoff and I had him, I had him beat. Uh, I had him beat uh, a couple of times, and he made miraculous uh, recoveries to stay alive. But it was an enjoyable one, and one that really helped my career. Yeah, it's no question about it. Especially as a, a rookie and someone maybe that wasn't as well known. What, what were those times again? As as a, as a brother playing on the tour, very difficult times. What what, what what describe for us what those times were like? Well, the times were were pretty pretty rough. And the reason why I said they were pretty rough because there was just certain places, you know, along the way where we could, uh, even at that time, where we could, uh, where we could, uh, where the hotels and things where we could stay. And also the facilities that uh, we could go and dine in were, you know, was pretty uh, prevalent also. But so uh, it was certainly a, a time that uh, uh, you, you, you would like to have had some more, more players out there with you because of the fact that it was pretty lonesome, you know, to, to be out there and a lot of times to be, uh, to be by yourself most of the time. And, uh, to, uh, not saying that I didn't make friends with other players, but it was just, it's just not like, uh, someone that, uh, uh, that you, that pretty much that you've been knowing for some time are, are pretty much, uh, the, the same, uh, nationality as you, so you can talk about a lot of, a lot of things. Cause a lot of the, a lot of the white players that I was very close to, well, had become very close to, you know the uh, the talking were not the one that I was had been used to. It was a different situation, so I felt that uh, well, gee, if I had uh, someone that I could uh, you know talk to and spend some time with, even though Charlie Shepard were were out out on the tour at the time, and so was Rafe Bott. Uh but uh, it was a it was a situation to where we all pretty much went uh, in our in our own in our own direction. Except for Rafe, Rafe and I were certainly uh, pretty close. But uh, Charlie was the type of person that uh, he he seemed to have wanted to be along and 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 also to uh, uh, I guess think about the way that he wanted to prepare himself for a golf tournament. And Charlie didn't play a lot of the events because he was getting a little bit older, and quite naturally he was cutting back. I'm sure on his career. So it meant that I had to pretty much travel that road by myself. But it was tough. It was tough because of, uh, you know, the situation that we were in at that particular time. 
That the voice of Lee Elder. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Certainly, Mr. Elder, a history maker. It's Masters Week, and we're uh, delighted, as a matter of fact, to be talking with him. Your best finish in the Masters was in, ni- in 1979. Um, I believe it was what, a 17th place finish. Um, can you sort of talk about that and some of your memory, your most memorable Masters? Well, that's uh, 19, 1979 was certainly one of the best uh, one of the best masters that I had because it was uh, uh, it was my fourth masters and I think I was beginning to get a little bit more uh, familiar with the golf course even though it had uh, several good rounds it just seemed that I could not put uh, two rounds together the masters <clears throat> was a pretty pretty long golf course and I was not uh, really a a big hitter but it was a, it was a uh, golf course that I enjoyed because it was a placement golf course uh, if you were not uh, the, the the bombers that could get out there and get uh, eight irons and nine irons into those qualifiers and wedges into the other hole, but it was it was certainly a learning experience for me because it seemed as if each year I began to uh, play better and better and better. So uh, I was certainly happy about that. Uh, I would like to have had uh, quite a number more finishes than I did have, but. Like I say, it was a type of golf course that was uh, was pretty long for me. Yeah, you know, and 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 ex- talk more about that because, like you said, I mean, that was the Masters, but boy, 1979 was a really good year for you. All of your some of your 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 top finishes when you're talking about the U.S. Open, uh, you know, you're talking about some of the major events. Um, a lot of really great things happened to you in '79. Well, yes, it did. I made the United States Ryder Cup team. That was that was one that I was really happy about, the fact that I had made that team, because so, which meant that I played real well in 78, which was a, a great year because I won uh, the Westchester Golf Classic in, uh, in Westchester, New York, which really helped me uh, get, uh, make enough points to get on that team because it was a, it was a great team, too. I mean, we had uh, just about all the all of the uh, top players, you know. Of course, we... Uh, we uh, uh, beat him pretty badly, pretty badly that year, and that was the last year that uh, that we only played just Europe. Uh, after that year, after '79, uh, the Ryder Cup team went to all of Europe rather than just the English players. So, uh, but as far as my as far as my play that year, it was uh, it was it was one of my best years on the tour from uh, both uh, from both aspects, from a sense of playing and also scoring. Yeah. And, and you know, once you got on the senior to, the seniors tour, you won eight events on the seniors tour. Kind of, kind of speak to that, and you know, playing golf at uh, at that level. I mean, you can still, and I, I don't know, do you still get out there and, uh, and 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 do it much these days? Well, yes, I still get out and play. As a matter of fact, I'll uh, be playing uh, uh, the Monday after the Masters, Darius <coughs> Darius Rucker Golf Tournament in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, and then I'll, I, uh, I play in several, uh, quite a number of other events, like, uh, Russell Wilson event and, and, uh, <clears throat> Dr. J's event, Chris Tucker's. I go in and, uh, play in those events as a, as a host for them. So it's really keeping me in, 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 t- in, in, t- in tune. Uh, I, I, I think that, uh, uh, the, the reason why I played so well on the senior tour was because I was uh, I was coming on with a lot of experience. I had uh, I had been in position to maybe uh, 
if I could have had a, a, a good closing round in the last round, I had a chance to win a lot of golf tournaments, uh, well, quite a number of golf tournaments on the regular on the regular tour. But when I came to the when I came to the uh, uh, Champions Tour, then uh, my game I felt was in tip-top condition, and I felt that uh, I had uh, enough experience that I could uh, that I could play with those guys there yeah, because they was in, in my age category. Lee Elder joins us here on the program. 1971, you played in the South African PGA Championship, an invitation that you received from Gary Player, of course. I mean, it's particularly at that time a part Tate uh, in in South Africa. Talk about that playing in that tournament, and uh, you know, you know what that really meant, particularly for you to accept that invitation and play in that tour in that tournament. Well. Gary, Gary was such a great ambassador at that time, and at that time I I could see that Gary needed some help because he was being boycotted here for his country's policies, and I felt that he that was a disadvantage and that should not have happened. So when he asked me about coming to play in South Africa, I uh, I felt that it was the least that I could do. It took us a little time to get a visa to go there because they had. You know, they had turned down Arthur Ashe on several occasions and all of the other black uh, runners and players that had tried to get into the country. Uh, they had refused them visas, so uh, I, I felt that I was going to uh, fight and, and, and try to make sure that uh, that I could go and uh, because I felt that it would it would help, And which I did. I went. I played in the South African PGA and the South African Open. Uh, Gary was a great ambassador, a great host. We did uh, several other exhibitions after the after the uh, tournament after the tournament play all around South Africa, and uh, some of the some of the money that we raised I gave to uh, uh, a school in Durban, South Africa called Yonanda Seminary, and it was uh, it was something that I had uh, had uh, had someone that had came to the United States and talked to me about it because the government was trying to close down. Uh, the facility because it was not up to the standard of the other schools, so it was just a great honor for me to go there. But what I did, I went to the library uh, in the National Library in Washington D.C. and got the Paul's book out of the National Library and wrote every major American company uh, that had affiliation in South Africa for donation, and the response was was very very well very well taken, and they uh, donated quite a bit of money and we carried it to the uh, Kids to the school, and they were able to uh, get their standard up to the uh, what the government wanted, and it's still there. And it's now <clears throat> they have now added a hall onto the school that's called Lealda Hall. Mm. So I'm very happy and proud about that. Oh wow! It's Masters Week, and we're talking with Lee Elder here on from the press box to press row golf legend, Mr. Elder. Hold the line for me one second more. With Lee Elder, after this small pause for the cause, this is From the Press Box to Press Row. You know, that's awesome. That's something, and I'm glad you shared that with us because that's something that you don't read about. You just read about the fact that you accepted the invitation but not the aftermath of what happened. I think that is absolutely phenomenal. A couple of more thoughts. You know, you're 84 years old, very active, um, but do you... You know, I, when I when I you know I'm up, I'm I'm half your age, but what it what bothers mm-hmm. me, and you you came up in a different time, obviously, is that a person would not be allowed to do something 
because of the color of their skin, regardless of whether they were good at that or not. When you think back on that, um, do, do, do those things in terms of the way you were discriminated against, do those things bother you to this day? Well, quite naturally they bother me, yes, you know, to, to be competing with these, with these players. Do you realize that in, and when we first went, first started playing the tour as late as 67, we couldn't even go into the clubhouse and eat in Pensacola, Florida, the tournament I won that made me uh, qualify for the Masters. But what happened, what, what, what the situation were, I had a chance to, to, to talk with, uh, the great Jackie Robinson. At the time, he was pretty much in, you know, in the, in the height of his career. Henry Aaron also. As a matter of fact, in, in 1976, when Henry Aaron hit the 715, I had won the Milwaukee Open, the, and, and then Tuesday night after, after the, uh, after my, after my win in the Milwaukee Open on Tuesday night in that same, in County Stadium, he hit his 715. But I, I was able to spend a lot of time with Jackie because I wanted to, I wanted to find out how to really handle myself because there were so many cat calls of nigga this and nigga that and you have no business uh, here playing and you know those things were troubling and you know you had to I want to try to find or find out uh, a way to that uh, to to handle it you know I was not uh, really used to that because I had not been. Uh, out there very long, and I wanted to see just uh, just how much I could take. I was able to talk with a lot of the the the, the leaders, Reverend Lowry, who I had a chance to to talk with, and had a chance to meet Dr. King through uh, Reverend Lowry, and so it was certainly uh, it was certainly something that that really helped me because I I tell you I, I felt like I was lost, but I had such great mentors out there that. I was able to converse with, and I think that's probably the reason why I was able to continue and play because I tell you, it was troubling. It was really troubling because almost every place you went, you know, the cat calls, the whisper, get off the golf course, you know, picking up the ball, throwing it, throwing it all over the place. and uh, So it was really hard, uh, but uh, thanks to the Almighty and the help that I received from him, I was able to uh, to make it through. Wow. Couple more thoughts, Mr. Elder. We appreciate the time. Um, no yeah, Joe Lewis. So, so you, your, your. I guess I was reading your career sort of really took off because of a match you had against Joe Lewis. Can, is that true? Can you share that a little bit of, about that yep. with us? I'd love to be, uh, be, be happy to. Yes. <clears throat> right after I got out of the out of the armed service in 1961, I met uh, I met Joe Lewis through Ted Rose, who was my teacher whom I had uh, became, uh, uh, was lucky enough to uh, be able to, uh, to be taught by him and to travel with him and to spend spend time. As a matter of fact, he changed, he changed my game because I was a cross-handed player, and he, he, he brought me back to where I debarred in a way and taught me. Uh, Joe was really the money man for us, well, just about all of the black golfers that was out on the tour. Joe Lewis, Bill Eckstein, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, these were the people that we turned to when, uh, uh, because we knew that we had to have some money to continue our career, to continue on to playing the tour, and to try to well to try to get ready and prepare ourselves for the tour. I played him in the finals of the 1958 uh, UGA Championship at, at South Park in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we had a great battle. Uh, he beat me one up, and 
we played 36 holes and he beat me one up. And when we was finished, he, he, he praised my game. And, and really he was the one that, uh, that introduced me to Teddy and said, Teddy, this, this young man has got certainly, uh, the potentials. And so from that, from that time on, I started to travel pretty much in that circle. You know, I, I wasn't trying to, uh, become so evident like, like them. I was just trying to, uh, Survive, you know, it was survival was pretty much uh, the, the type of thing that you had to uh, had to do at that particular time. A lot of a lot of hustling off the golf course. We went in <clears throat> just about every city around the country, uh, playing different games, and you know wherever Joe went, uh, everybody had always uh, drew a crowd because he was the man with the money, and everybody wanted to play him to. Uh, to try to beat him and 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 win some money from him, but Joe was a very good player. A lot of people don't realize that. I uh, I, I I was able to to watch him play for some uh, for some some pretty good matches and for some and for some pretty good money. And I tell you, he uh, he played awful well. And <clears throat> but what the thing that uh, that was so was that was so wonderful about about Joe is that he never said no. When you when you asked him about uh, helping you, he was there. He always was there to lend a hand. The same the same with uh, the likes of uh, Sammy Davis Jr., Bill Eckstein, the people in that era that really were the name people that uh, made it uh, uh, work for all of the. As a matter of fact, Bill Eckstein was Charlie Shepard, uh, uh sponsor, and uh, Ted uh, Joe Lewis was. Ted Rose sponsor, so I just kind of worked my way in there and and got uh, got in the in between them and and made friends with both of them, and so I had a chance to really uh, you know get it, get in and get to know them and and travel in that circle and really get the education that I needed as far as you know, about life and about the things that uh, that really was uh, that mattered most at that particular time. Mm. That is awesome. The uh, last two thoughts. The Monsanto Open, you won that, of course, in 1974, was your first win on the PGA Tour, which led to your first Masters and led to you making history, becoming the first uh, black man to play in the Masters. But take us through that Monsanto Open and that first PGA victory for you. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty tough situation because I was coming from behind all the time. I never, I never, I was never out front. I was coming behind. I trailed uh, Peter Oosterhuis, who I eventually uh, beat in the playoff. But I trailed him. I think about three shots the first first round, and by uh, four the second round, and then by two uh, going into the last round. Uh, I think, I, as I recall, I believe I shot 67 and he shot 69 the last day, and then retired and went into the went into the playoff. But I tell you what, uh, what was so what was so made me so happy about it mm-hmm. was the fact that I, I I played coming from behind. I was never out front. I never led until actually the putt that I made on the third extra hole to win the playoff. But uh, it was a situation to where I really got lucky because on the first hole of the playoff, I missed about a, a five foot putt. And Peter missed about a three-foot putt for, that would have won him the event. But then after that, I kind of buckled down. I had a lot of I had a lot of good friends that was <clears throat> that was in the audience because when when you played when when you played in the south in the southern part of the of the country, 
a lot of blacks came out to 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 watch it because you know it, they did not uh, go to other golf tournaments if if there were no blacks in it. I, you know, I'm happy to see that uh, Tiger have certainly changed that situation, and the galleries are so mixed today, and and that's so so great to see. Yeah, so but it was it was uh, it was it was certainly nerve wracking for me because it was my it was my first win, and anytime it's your first win, it's always uh, pretty nerve wracking. So, be, I mean, in essence, before there was Tiger Woods, there was Lee Elder. Well, you know, the majority of the writers today they write about that, and which is which is is true. Uh, if there had not been a Lee Elder, there would never be a Tiger Woods. But, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with him on that situation, on that term, because Tiger would have, Tiger would have been there anyway. Even though I did uh, work with Tiger, uh, Earl asked me to look at him on several occasions when he was 18 years of age in Los Angeles, and I played with him uh, uh, a couple of times. We became very close. I traveled in the circle of 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 of, of being with him. I flew on his plane to Las Vegas from Florida to. Uh, several fights and also just to go out and play some golf. He's a very, very, very wonderful young man, and he's still a, a very good person today. And he's certainly one that uh, I'm so happy for to see him have the great comeback that he's had because he certainly deserved it. And and certainly you can tell that I'm how welcome he were accepted on the tour because the following is still there for him, and it will always be there. Yeah. Because I think that Tiger revolutionized professional golf. They they talk about uh, certainly Arnold Palmer uh, helped raise the the purses to what they are today. So so that uh, so did Jack contributed. But Tiger Woods were the man, were the money man. He was the man that that made it possible for all the all the big events for the for the for the million dollar for the million dollar first prize money and. And so forth and so on, even even high, the t- the five, ten, twenty million dollar events that they play in around the country today. I wish that I wish that we could have had that type of money <laughs> <laughs> planned for that particular time. But it's great. The tour is great. The tour is, is live and well, and I'm happy to see it. Even though I felt that feel that I uh, would have liked to have been able to play in a lot of the uh, of the of the big money events, but. I'm happy with what I accomplished, and I certainly uh, uh, look forward to receiving this award. It's certainly uh, certainly an award that I will cherish, that I have uh, that I've read upon, and I I'm just happy to be in the company of so many great people. Wow. Very well said. Lee Elder, the one and only, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. It is Masters Week, and of course he was the first black man to play uh, in the Masters. And uh, what a treat we've had on today's program. Mr. Elder, we appreciate the time. Continued success in everything that you do. Well, thank you so very much. I certainly have enjoyed being on the program. And I certainly look forward to seeing uh, you down the road as we as we continue our journey. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Lee Elder a lot that I didn't know. And as a matter of fact, you know, it's interesting because... 
uh, you know, you're talking about pioneering golfers like Charlie Sifford and Calvin Pete and Pete Brown. All three of those gentlemen passed away in 2015. As a matter of fact, I'd have to go back and do the research, but it seemed like we had at least two of the three, maybe all three of them on the program early on in Box to Row's infancy. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Taraji P. Henson. The radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the World Wide Web. From the Press Box to Press Row continues after this. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. Those who can, do. Those who can't, talk. Join Donald Ware in the conversation. From the press box to press row. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The film, The Best of Enemies, is in theaters now. And one of the stars of the film, wow, I mean, she's got so many films to her name, it's impossible to mention them all. Hidden figures, think like a man, hustle and flow, baby boy, just to name a few. She plays the role of Ann Atwater. She's Taraji P. Henson. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Taraji, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, so you have, obviously this the, the film takes place in Durham. We're here in Raleigh, and you have some ties to North Carolina. So you started out at North Carolina A&T, correct? I did, my freshman year. Okay, so how, how was that? How was that Aggie Pride, almost Aggie Pride thing going? It was a great experience, but I was just there for all the wrong reasons. I was never supposed to be um, a mathematician or an electrician. I mean, an electrical engineer, that was never <laughs> in my story. But for whatever reasons, I detoured <laughs> because I didn't get accepted into a fine arts school. And I found out after my first semester, actually, that I wasn't mathematically wired when I failed pre-calculus. <laughs> and that's when I, my dad was like, you need to come back up here and enroll at Howard and go to school for acting because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So that's how I found my way back to acting. So he saw that in you early, and that's something that you wanted to do. Well, I didn't know. You know, as a kid, you don't know what you want to do. You're just being a kid. And my dad just saw how uh, outspoken I was, and I was the life of the party, and, you know, I wasn't afraid to stand up in front of a group of people and make them laugh or sing a song. So he just called it, and those that's the seeds he sowed in me, and I grew up believing believing it. Um, so he would be like, you're the greatest actress. You're, you're going to win an Oscar. You're going to do this. He started telling me that when I was a little kid, and so I kind of just started believing him. 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean you're you and you are a phenomenal actress, no doubt about it. So let let me let me ask you about this. I want to uh, put these names out there to you. Like we've had Anthony Anderson on the show. So Anthony Anderson, P. Diddy, Laz Alonzo, uh, Shy, Wendy Raquel Robinson, Ananda Lewis. I know I'm miss, missing a whole bunch more other people, but all of and you were all like at Howard at the same time. It's absolutely unbelievable so can you talk about that time your time at Howard with all of that talent um <clears throat> the only person that I encountered at Howard was Marlon Wayans my first my freshman year um he was we were in the same acting one-on-one class and then his brothers you know what happened and then he left <laughs> <laughs> right. and then um uh, Anthony Anderson was the only one I really, Anthony Anderson and Paula J. Parker were the only yep. ones I really kind of like encountered while I was there. Um, Isaiah Washington and Wendy Raquel Robinson, they had just left the year that I enrolled. Okay. Um, they had left the previous year. So I wasn't there at the same time they were there, but I was right on their heels because, you know, I was derailed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Took a detour. Right. And I was at North Carolina A&T. Yeah. So, um. Once I got there and once I got to Howard and I started hearing of all the names of the people, that's, you know, when I would go to movies and I would see Paula J. Parker or I saw Anthony Anderson doing something, that's that's what gave me my wings and my um, determination to to know that I could parlay this education into some real money because I saw people that I saw in the hallways, the same hallways I walked on the big screen. So they made it tangible for me. Yeah, no question about it. And then before, you know, obviously before you, you had the likes of the Allen sisters and yes. so many others. So, so when you yeah. see that, but it wasn't even that I saw them. They came back to the school to talk to me, to talk to the students. You know what I mean? So they actually, they made it even more tangible. You know, because they reached great heights, you know, the Cosby Show, which became an international success. That was the first black show to ever, you know, reach that kind of success. And, um, you know, Debbie Allen, you know, producing uh, and, and directing the Oscars and, you know, all the things that, you know, they made it me believe I could dream the biggest dream. But, you know, I went to school, I went to Howard knowing that. But once I was in Howard and I saw actual people that I roamed the halls with, broke bread with in the cafeteria on that big screen, that's when I was like, oh, oh, this is real. Like, I can, I can, I can really be real with this. This is not just a dream or something far away. Like, Debbie and them made it seem, even though they came back to talk to us, it seemed, it's still as a, a hungry student out in that audience looking for answers and the, the blueprint, it still felt far, you know? But to see, like, people that I actually was walk, roaming the halls with on the screen, that's actually what made made it, made me believe. Like, it made it tangible. That's the only way I can put it. Yeah. It made it very tangible. No, and then, I mean, so many, most notably, I would say maybe Chadwick Boseman came after you, but it's so many people that obviously yeah. you, you, because of what you did, allowed for them to not only come to Howard, but also to be able to have the success as well. That the voice of the one and only Taraji P. Henson joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. The film, The Best of Enemies, is in theaters now. She plays the role of Anne Atwater. Tell us a little bit. You you were down here in Durham, I think it was last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago. But talk to us a little bit about the film and why you decided, uh, what made you or led you decide to uh, to do this film, The Best of Enemies. 
Well, I noticed after the 2016 presidential election, the racial climate in this country changed drastically. Um, it just seemed very uneasy. And I felt like this was a story that needed to be told, and it needed to be told now. Because I had the script since the um, we filmed the pilot of Empire. Uh, but, you know, the show became a hit, and, and I was locked in on doing other projects. But after the 2016 election, like I said, I noticed the racial climate changing drastically, and I knew this story um, needed to be told. And so I called Danny Strong, who co-created Empire and is also one of the executive producers. He gave me the script when we were filming the pilot, and I called him, and I was like, we got to film this movie right away. And I, he was like, don't you have a movie already? I was slated to film Proud Mary on my hiatus. I only get two and a half, maybe three months tops, depending on when we come back into production for Empire, for vacation. I gave up my entire vacation because I squeezed both of those movies in on my hiatus. But I did it because this movie was so important. And it couldn't wait. You know, it just couldn't wait. It couldn't wait. Yeah. No, no question about it. You, you know, did you – once Empire – Empire has been huge. Of course, you play the role of Cookie in Empire. I mean, it's it's absolutely huge. So you knew that this was going to be – or did you know that this was going to be as big a hit as it, in fact, has been? Empire? No. I knew domestically it would be a hit. I think what caught me by surprise with this was the success overseas and how the success came Um it was the need. The people wanted it because the studio wouldn't even sell it overseas. They didn't see the market. They didn't see that it was going to do anything uh, overseas, so they didn't even try to sell it overseas. It was the people. They started streaming it <laughs> illegally, <laughs> and then Fox was like, oh, oh, we can make some money off of this. <laughs> <laughs> then, they re- then they went back and sold it to the different foreign uh, outlets but before that they didn't even see the value and that's what's so frustrating for me as an african-american or you know a minority a person of color in this industry because it's like who do you think of going to the movies it's not just white people like don't you want to appeal to everybody don't you want all the money (laughs) yeah so that's what's kind of frustrating and it seems like they they're they're waking up for sure but it's like that's common sense, dude. Like, <laughs> right, right. That's common sense. Like, representation is important across the board. It's, it's just, it just makes sense. There's all kinds of walks of life on this earth, and we should try to appeal to everyone. I mean, if I was, if I, I mean, that's, the, I'm trying to, anything I'm selling, I'm trying to appeal to everyone. Yeah. No question about it. Of course, Oscar-nominated actress Taraji P. Henson joins us here on the program. The film, The Best of Enemies, is in theaters now. A couple of more thoughts. Taraji, we appreciate the time. Uh, Baby Boy. So, like, when I first saw Baby Boy, I'm like, you know, and I know you were just kind of coming on the scene. I'm like, she's from Washington. It's no question about it. She's from Washington. So talk about them. And that was, like, your first big-time role. Yeah. It was my very first big role, but at the same time, John, that was a story that I think transcended area codes. Like, it didn't matter where you were from. That is something that the black community, not even the black community. I have white friends who were like, oh, my God, my brother is such a baby boy. My mother won't put him out. Like, baby boy, that term, people understand across the board. And, yes, John never really set out to try to make a crossover film he literally wanted to make a film that culture that moved that that was 
representative of the culture and that people would want to watch more than one time. He wanted to make a cult hit, and that's exactly what he did. And it actually it did eventually cross over. Yeah. Lastly, now are you you know I know you're from Washington, obviously. Are you a big big Redskins fan? I mean, you know, when you have to choose a team, I got to choose my home team. <laughs> right. And my dad was a diehard um, uh, Redskins and Wizards, yes. Bullets, Bullets turned Wizards. Wizards fans. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you we, know, so to keep his legacy alive, I got to follow his footsteps. Yeah, we, we're not doing too well in either one of those teams. We're not doing too well right I now. I know. It's been a minute. <laughs> well, It's if, when they changed the, they should They should have left the Bullets, the Bullets. I know. I know, right? Yeah, because they was firing back when they was the bullets, but now, you know, the wizards, okay? <laughs> okay, Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's okay. You ride for home team. You ride for home team no ride, matter what. You ride, ride or die, no question about it. The best <laughs> of enemies is in theaters now. One of the stars of the film, the one and only Taraji P. Hinton, joins us here. I'm from the press box to press row. Taraji, we appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Thank you so much. So Taraji P. Henson joining us here on the program. As a matter of fact, had a chance to see the premiere of Best of Enemies uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was pretty good. I invite you to go and check it out. And by the way, Howard producing so many great actors and actresses. Uh, you can look at it more recently, but even if you look at the past history of Howard, it, I mean, to me, it's pound for pound in terms of Hollywood and entertainment. When it's pound for pound. Uh, right up there with some of the best schools when you think about the USC's, et cetera. I mean, Howard is right there in terms of the schools that produce entertainers. Got to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you to Taraji P. Hinton for joining us on the program. Also to Lee Elder for joining us on the program as well. I invite you to check out my piece on North Carolina sports at its highest level. Log on to our website at docstorow.com and check out that piece want to welcome our newest affiliates and those listening to us in greenwood mississippi on wgnl 104.3 fm and also those listening to us in tachula mississippi on wgng 106.3 fm thank you for making from the press box to press row a part of your day and always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.